Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corning America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Mary Pfeiffer is the author of A Life in Light, Meditations on Impermanence. She is a psychologist who has earned her title of cultural therapist for her generation. 
She's the author of four New York Times bestsellers, including Reviving Ophelia, The Shelter of Each Other, Another Country, and Women Rowing North. She lives in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And in this case, moms don't have time to drop off their kids at camp and be on time for podcast morning. So welcome. (laughs) Thank you very much. I'm really happy to be here, Zippy. I absolutely loved your book, A Life in Light, Meditations on Impermanence. The way you write is just absolutely gorgeous. And the things, it's not just the way you write in this very poetic way, but it's the sentiments behind it and the way you talk about your life and your childhood and how you interpret everything. I just, it's, it's really, really wonderful. So I really, thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Why don't you tell listeners a little about what this book is about? Well, I wrote this book during COVID and I actually needed to write this book. I hadn't planned to write any more books, but I was lonesome during COVID and couldn't see my friends, couldn't exercise as much as usual because I couldn't go in buildings. I also realized that if I had a project that I felt could be useful to the world and to me, I could make it through mm-hmm. COVID, however long it lasted. And so I decided that what I'd write about is something I've really been concerned about my whole life as a child with a pretty traumatic family, and then later as a therapist, which is how to find light in dark times or resilience. So as I struggled with those issues for myself, I wrote this book, and I hope for the reader there's some some help or some teachings about resilience. The other thing, though, is just a really simple, happy thing, Zibi, which is my memory is encoded in light. And almost every scene in my childhood and my whole life can be explained in part by the light. A very light-focused person, solar-powered person. And so the way the book is organized is around where light played a role in every scene. There's a beautiful word, a Japanese word, komoremi, that I introduce early in the book. And what it means is the interplay of light and shadow in leaves, dapple leaves. And I actually have a memory of that from when I was one or two years old before I encoded things verbally. And I also have memories of the best time I ever had with my dad, the time I had with my grandmother encoded in light. But komorebi also means something different, which means a melancholy longing for a person or place or thing. And so part of this, this book is about impermanence. And it just a sense that good times come and go, people come and go, every minute is different. And especially at my point in the lifespan, I'm acutely aware of impermanence. Even my grandchildren are growing up now. And moving into lives of their own. And of course, as an older person, I'm losing people. And so the great trick, I think, at this stage of life is is learning to find light within myself. So that's the that's the basic journey of the book. Oh. Well you give so many examples of when light has helped you and conversely how detrimental it is when you're in dark places and you refer to this feeling of squishiness when you find yourself in places like the trailer you lived in with your father for a period of time for the one year when your mother was off doing her medical degree and and everything else and how that time of course was dark given 
your dad's PTSD and everything that he was going through, but also the physical environment and how now you look to windows, you look to, you can't be in confined spaces. And I had never really thought about light as something like a, a measure on which to always be aware, aware of, right? I don't measure my life in light and I hadn't even thought about it, but changing it, like, am I happier in places with lots of windows? Like, why does that happen? How, how important is this to me? How important is it to like my husband who needs much more light than I do now that I think about it in your terms? It's almost like you could give us a quiz on like light sensitivity, but tell yeah. me about that squishy, that squishy feeling. Yeah, well, I think that squishy feeling is a sense of a physiological sense, an embodied. That's why I use squishy as opposed to some word for emotions or thoughts. It's an embodied, felt sense of vulnerability and fear and kind of a deep loneliness. And from my child, I think, was particularly likely to generate that feeling because I think I was about 18 months old when my dad left for the Korean War and just came home very short time in the next four or five years. And then, as you alluded to the trailer, when he did finally come home from the Korean War, he took my brother and I to the Ozarks to live in a trailer behind his sister's house. And my younger brother went to live with some grandparents. And I went a year without seeing my mom. And then that continued. I was always with my mom after we reunited when I was second grader. But that continued with my father all of his life up until he died. He was with our family and then not with our family, worked away from home and came home the occasional weekend. And my mom was also gone a lot. It was, a, it was in some ways, a very lonely childhood. One of the things I, I believe is almost everything is both and. So, mm-hmm. for example, I can say it was it was both a very lonely child and a childhood where I had enormous amount of freedom to develop self, to define how I spent my time, learn how to do things, to structure time with my brothers the way I wanted to. And I was sort of a leader of the kids. I'm the oldest family of, depending on you count, four or six. My parents adopted two Korean orphans after I left home. So they're my sisters, but I never lived with them. But anyway, I, I still get squishy. You know, I, I for example, my daughter and, and her husband and my two young grandsons moved to Canada after they'd lived 20 blocks away. And I felt that squishy feeling again. There's a chapter in the book called Teardrops in the Snow, where I write about that goodbye. But the antidote to squishy, there's two or three antidotes. One of them is love. One of them is work. Another is the natural world. And another is, for me, meditation. I Mm -hmm. I find great comfort, great calming, and simply sitting down and breathing. So... I feel like your antidotes to squishiness are often the one cited as coping mechanisms for depression. It's just another yeah. way, right? It's yeah. another way to reframe the feelings and the solutions or the how to get through the, the harder times. You know, it's interesting because I'm a therapist. I, I know all the technical language. When I was a therapist, I never used DSM-3 diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I preferred to see people as individuals and as, yep. as distinct 
And I also thought that labeling did most people a service because they thought they understood something when actually there's no understanding to come from a label or very little understanding to come from a label. But uh, when I write, I tend to, when I was a therapist and when I write, I tend to write in very ordinary language and I tend to pull for resilience. I don't, for example, label my own experience depression very often. I label it sometimes struggle mm-hmm. or journey because I don't claim, even though I had a pretty difficult childhood, I don't actually claim I'm any different than most people. Most people had a difficult childhood. Most people's lives, if you look across the timeline, have very difficult times. in. And so the, the, the journey I like to explore is how all of us lead these lives of light and darkness. Mm-hmm. And we all have within us the capacity to learn and grow from our struggles into people who are are much more skillful at finding the light. I love that. You also have, and maybe this is part of the natural world, you from a young age would spend hours and hours and hours in the pool. And that was another sort of, is that still something you try to incorporate in your daily life? Oh, absolutely. In fact, right after this interview, I'm heading to a swimming pool. You are. (laughs) You know, that's an interesting thing, Zibi, because essentially I've liked the same things my whole life. (laughs) I like swimming. I like being outdoors. I like animals. I like women, friends, girlfriends. I like my own family. I like walks. Mm -hmm. I like looking at sunset and sunrise and like reading. And that's pretty much, I liked it at 10 years old. I like it at 74 years old, just pretty much what I like. And I also really like these basic things that people have enjoyed throughout history. I'm I'm not so fond, I don't watch TV, for example, and I'm not very fond of technology as a general rule. I don't, I don't have any Facebook or I don't have these things that most people have. I don't want to be on my tombstone remembered as she answered all her emails or she kept this up to speed with everything that happened in her life. So I'm not actually living too much differently than I lived as a little girl. The only thing really different is the the first five or six decades of my life. I, I was a very heat-seeking mammal. I wanted to find people to love me. I loved to love people and be connected to them. So I put a lot of energy into my family, my aunts, my grandmother, who I just dearly loved, and, and also building friendships and just having lots of women friends, lots of couple friends. My husband's a musician, so we have writer friends, and, women, and I have music friends through him. And then we, of course, counselor friends and neighbors. So I built, you know, big networks of people I love to be around, and plus my children and grandchildren. Well, that's all changing now. That's all really changing now. And one of the things that I think the last decade or two of life for many people that changes is we need to not learn to attach, but learn to detach and move away from being dependent on relationships for our happiness and instead building up what we need inside ourselves for our happiness. Ah, uh, yes. The elusive inner happiness. It's a wonderful goal, though, for everybody to feel that without needing the connections. Although I do feel like part of 
I mean, that's why speaking to your COVID experiences, we all can relate to. That's why when you're sort of robbed of that day-to-day interaction and, you know, you take it from in your book all the way to making your first friend and how transformative that was in your life, all the way to when you're alone during COVID and you, we take for granted all these interactions and the day-to-day stuff. Even like the summer, I've spent so much time on, on Zoom, like in my house, like away from the regular city that I'm like, you know, okay, you know, where are the people? <laughs> like, where are yeah. like, yeah. you know, yeah. so yeah, there's something, I think we can convince ourselves. And I saw Malcolm Gladwell actually just had some big thing come out about how working from home is like destroying the social connections and the social fabric. And people think it's more convenient to be at home and do the things and, and save time, but really we're losing something so vast and important in in making that decision. I think he's right about that. And I've noticed that people are less extroverted and out there since COVID Mm -hmm. almost like even right now, for example, we're having a fundraiser this next week which is really going to be a party with a band playing and food and wine and all this. And I'm, I'm realizing as I get this organized, this first party I've had or been invited to in a long time, people just don't tend to do that right now. They're more uh, stay home, see a few close friends, not be out in the world so much. And it's a tremendous loss. We're very, very connecting animals. You know, it's interesting because we have a, We've sponsored an Afghan family this year, and our family ended up being part of a big extended family of about 70 Afghans who moved to our town. And the Afghans are so interconnected, like they'll end up 10 people spending a night in the apartment because they all want to be together, you know, and it's really, and on Sunday, all the men sit in one room and drink tea and all the women sit in the other room and drink tea. And it's just really lovely to see a people so connected and, and, and so connected to each other and so dependent on relationship to help the women all help each other with the children, the men all help each other with everything. And it's it's really kind of beautiful. It makes me mourn for a more connected world. Of course, I always personally believe that there should be a law that Nobody could live further th- that from their family than one mile. But oh, interesting! Unenforceable in America. <laughs> Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. 
add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com You know, I do want to say thing about something about happiness and inner happiness and peace, which is it's much easier to find those things at 74 than in the stage of life you're in. <laughs> in the stage of life you're in, you've got to make a living. You're very concerned with caring for kids. You've got a house to maintain and groceries to buy and cars to keep running, et cetera. And at 74, I mean, I have some of those things to do. But it's very, it's for a very small population of two. And we've got our house. We're retired, except for my writing and Jim's music. And so there's more time to do things like take a morning walk at sunrise and take an evening walk at sunset and lie in a hammock all afternoon and read a good book and go to Sangha where I can meditate. You don't have these lectures. You're busy all the time. And we have some, some young parents in our Sangha and they just consistently are struggling more than the older people because they just have so many more disruptions and, and such. And they're happy. They're happy. They love their kids. They're engaged with the world. But they just have so much more to deal with on a daily basis. So funny. I visited my dad briefly yesterday and I, we were just together for about an hour. And of course, my kids FaceTimed me like two different kids and I don't want to go. I don't want to be here. Why do I have to stay here? And, like all this stuff. And he just looks at me and he's like, whoa, you have a lot coming at you all the time. <laughs> it's like you have a lot more going on than I do. And I'm like, I don't think so. He's still running a business and everything and has a lot going on. And he's like, no, 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 not compared to you. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> all the inputs. But um, I don't know. I, I see your point. And it does sound lovely just waking up and sitting in a hammock and going on a walk and writing books. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> but also this this period of time is deeply rewarding and oh, yeah. watching oh, yeah. kids grow. And, you know, I am lucky personally. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say lucky, but I am divorced and remarried. So I do have these breaks every other weekend, which give me perspective oh, nice. and a time to just regroup and appreciate and miss and then get back into it. But before I was like constantly depleted, like always just like no, no gas in the tank, but you know, now we have your life to look forward to, which is, which is wonderful. <laughs> I was trying to find this one beautiful, there were so many beautiful lines, but uh, I feel like it was the way you, you also do in the book, you do such a great job of ending each chapter with like a, not a cliffhanger. Cause it's not that type of book, but a sentence that makes you totally of leaving us wanting more. And also you too, so great a job weaving in books, which is something I did. I just wrote a memoir myself actually called Bookends. And I have books with every point of my life. And you do something so similar, but far better than me here, which is weaving in everything you're reading. And it, maybe I could just read this one, one passage that you wrote, if that's okay, about reading. You said, with the librarian's guidance, I eventually read novels by Mark Twain and Charles Dickens and a great many others, including Pride and Prejudice, War and Peace, and Les Miserables. These books helped me inhabit worlds very different from my own and increased my sense of the wide range of human experiences. I came to understand that many people suffered as children. I was not alone, but part of a community of sufferers that included much of the human race. That realization was oddly comforting. Over time, the library became my church and reading became my way of understanding the world. I built myself from books. 
Reading offered me hope, soothed me in difficult moments, and gave me a sense of the immense complexity of the human spirit. There are all kinds of light in the world, from the sky, during moments of bliss and awe, and from the lemony circles on the tables of the Beaver City Library. Oh, thank you. That's a nice paragraph. I love that. Well, and it's so true. And, you know, it's very interesting because I have a lot of friends, women friends who are writers, and they all could have written the same thing. There's a lot of children who find in their salvation the library, you know, that it's just, and if you're lucky enough to have a good librarian who senses who you are, and so will guide you towards certain books. You know, an interesting thing about the books I read as a child, and the books are very different now. Well, I, in our library, almost all the books were biographies of heroes. So we had the, the books on Helen Keller and and Dr. Tom Dooley and Eleanor Roosevelt. And, and so I think the average child grew up thinking it was important to be heroic in some way. And I sort of wish we had a line of those biographies now for children, because for me, at least, they were very inspirational. And I, I was very lucky. I, I got the message early that it was important to be good. And I, I don't know if I'm good or not. I wouldn't argue that. But I did end up spending a life where I took pleasure in being good. And that's really what I want to say is this wonderful, the Plato line of education is teaching children to take pleasure in the right things. And it's wonderful if children learn to take pleasure in being good. So I love that. It's a kind of light, isn't it? Were you surprised by the massive success of Women Rowing North? You know, I'm always surprised because I'm pretty humble and I generally think, well, I don't know if this book is good enough to publish. In every book I've ever written, there's a moment of crisis where I call my agent and go, maybe I should just abandon this book. (laughs) It doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And usually when I turn over a book to the publishers is at a moment where I'm not sure if it's good or not. But I'm absolutely sure I can't make it better. (laughs) Then I'll just hand it to her. I've been very lucky to have a lot of great women publishers. I'll just hand it to her and say, you evaluate this, decide if it's good enough, and then we'll work on it together. But I'm always surprised, you know, starting out with Reviving Ophelia. I expected it would be a very small book. So did my publisher. Everybody was shocked by that book. But Women Rowing North, I knew it would find some women readers my age, but I was very surprised how many women wrote me and, and engaged with that book. And I love it. This has happened with multiple books of mine, but but readers start groups where they, they read the book and talk about it, or it becomes a book club book. Or That is so great when something I write inspires people to think and talk and maybe change their behavior in some ways. You know, it's a way to be an activist on paper. And mm. I, I really like that. I really like that feeling of I'm maybe helping create positive change in the world through writing. I love that, being an activist on paper. That's beautiful. I also think there's not enough written for women getting older, which I know I'm in my 40s, but I, I view myself as much older than I am. I don't know. I feel, I feel world-weary old soul. And I, I don't know. I'm always like contemplating end of life and all of that. And so when you write for a, a group of people who have been underserved, it's it's very rewarding. And I don't know. I think women in their 
60s, 70s, 80s, like have the best stories around and so much potential. And it's just like, I feel like there needs to be a rebrand on that time of life. Total rebrand. You know, I've actually written books. You know, if people happen to have read all my books, I doubt anyone has read them in order. They they would have a pretty good sense for my life from the time I was in my 40s up until now. Because I read what's important. I write what's important to me. I always write what I'm trying to figure out. Mm -hmm. With Reviving Ophelia, it was my teenage daughter, my teenage clients. With uh, Another Country, it was dealing with my ill mother who just conceptualized the world so differently than me. And I just, the medical situation, the communications between us around medical, she was like many people of her generation, very passive and compliant with doctors and uninclined to complain. And so I remember one time a doctor goes, well, how are you today, Avis, first name Avis? And she goes, I'm I'm better. And and I go, what do you mean you're better, Mom? She goes, well, yesterday my back just hurt so badly, but it's better. Well, she didn't tell anyone when it hurt badly. She let us know when she started feeling better. And that kind of thing, you know, it was kind of like I wrote the metaphor in that of the older generation was the Queen Elizabeth's. The younger generation was the Princess Diana's. We wanted to emote. We wanted to be more assertive about medical care. We wanted things to be a little different. So I wrote about that and the point my mother died. Well, I have to say, I am I am just such a fan, not just of how you write, but just, just how you get life, right? Your whole take on it. I'm, I'm such a fan of the way you, you really distill it down to its essence and communicate it so well. And I don't know, it's very, it's very, very comforting. It's like very wise and comforting. And anyway, now I have to go back. I've, I've obviously, I have women rowing North. I have to go dig into that. And I'm going to, I'm going to go through your whole list backwards. Cause I am now, I'm just the biggest fan. I just loved a life in light so much. So thank you. Well, thank you, Zibi, and thanks for having me on your show. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Bye-bye. 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 Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibi Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibiOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. 
So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.